beginning a, a brand new series this morning, and we've called the series The Lost, and the title of this series comes directly from something that Jesus said in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. This is going to kind of be our anchor verse for the next six weeks as we go through this series talking about the lost. It's, it'll be our key verse. Here's what Jesus said. Um, he said, the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. This was right after he went and visited a, a, a thief's house, a tax collector's house that had stolen money and um, visited that house. And some of the people got upset that a rabbi, a religious leader, was hanging out with a sinner and went to a sinner's house. And Jesus said, this is, this is why I'm here. This is why I came. I've come to seek and save the lost. The lost is uh, the nickname, so to speak, that Jesus gave to those who don't know him. There's, they're spiritually lost. Those who don't believe in Jesus, who don't follow Jesus, who don't want Jesus, he, he called them spiritually lost. If you think about it, um, in a sense, it makes sense for Jesus to say that. He called himself the way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if he's the way, and you don't know Jesus, who is the way, if you don't know the way, you're lost. Now, nobody gets lost nowadays, right? Because we have these things with us all the time that tell you where you can go all the time, right? I mean, when was the last time you stopped and asked for directions? Remember those days, having to stop and ask for, excuse me, can you, like, it's the thing of the day, we don't get lost anymore because we have GPS. Um, now we know the way. Jesus said he is the way. Those who don't know him are lost, spiritually lost. Another, another word that the the Bible uses to describe individuals that don't know Jesus is that they're, they're spiritually blind. They're blind. So they're lost and they're blind. 2 Corinthians 4 says this, talking about these individuals. He says, in their case, the God of this age, lowercase g, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so now they got a double whammy. Not only are they lost, but they're blind. And, and so the way that we approach lost blind people matters a lot. And Jesus said he came to seek and save these people. And if I were to be honest with you, church, I, I, I think, this is my belief, that one of the great challenges facing Christians today, facing the church today, facing you and I today, is the way that we ourselves feel about and feel a sense of responsibility towards the lost, the way that we feel about ourselves as Christians and our responsibility to do something with the lost, the way that we feel just as people in 2022, uh, living with people who 
aren't like us who don't think or act or vote or choose like us. And so there's feelings and emotions that are very much attached to this. And then you mix in your own personality type. And then you, you mix in kind of your own upbringing about what you do or don't do with faith and politics and all this. And, and, and so I think the great challenge of the church today is what we do with our own feelings about the lost. Uh, I mean, even, even right now, when I stop and I start to describe the lost, how do you, as an individual, what do you think about that? What do you feel right now about that? Because Jesus said he came to save the lost, and then he left. <laughs> I've come to seek and save the lost, died on the cross, conquered death, rose again, and then left. And then took the baton and turned around and passed it on to his followers and said, hey, now the job is yours. Now this is what it means to follow me. As a matter of fact, that's exactly what he said. He said, if you're going to be a believer and a follower of Jesus, you have to go after the lost. This is what he said in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. It says this, follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. All right? So he's talking to this couple of fishermen. He's using an analogy. But, but don't miss the point. The point is, if you want to follow Jesus, you've got to do what he did. You've got to go where he was going. You've got to be about what he was about. You've got to live like he was living if you want to be a follower of Jesus. This is what Jesus said. Hey, come follow me. Great. What are we going to do? We're going fishing for people. This is the business of Jesus. And so Jesus, frankly, isn't interested in people that kind of just want to give him lip service or just kind of kind of subscribe to some type of religious system where they kind of believe in Jesus. He said, no, no, if you want to be about me, you want to follow me, you've got to be about what I'm going to be about. Uh, let me say it another way, and this is an, a, a negative way of saying it, but I believe it's true. If you're not fishing, then you're not following. Right? If you ain't fishing... Then you ain't following. Because Jesus said, hey, come follow me. We're going to go fish. So if you ain't fishing, then I don't know what you're doing. You're, you're, I think a lot of us have kind of feel temptation to do this. We kind of made Christianity into our version of Christianity where we pick and choose the parts that we want to do or don't want to do or like or don't like or believe or don't believe. And we end up treating God in the Bible like some type of spiritual buffet where you just kind of pick and choose rather than fully surrender your life and sit under the authority of the word of God rather than stand in judgment over the word of God where you pick and choose. And so if we're not fishing, then we ain't following. This is what we're going to talk about the next six weeks. And we're going to unpack so much. And my prayer is that it would be um, very practical, that it would hit your head and your heart, and that we would see a movement of people finding Jesus because the church has embraced her identity 
as fishers, fishermen, fisherwomen, fisherwomen, fisher, fishermen, fisherwomen. <clears throat> Last week, we saw 18 people baptized, 18 people that um, said yes to Jesus and wanted to let everybody know their identity in Jesus. They put on the Team Jesus jersey, and they're identifying with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And I, I had one main point in my little sermonette last week, and it was this. Who you are determines what you do. Remember we talked about that? Who you are determines what you do. So your identity determines your function, right? Who you are determines what you do. And so what I want to do this morning, because I believe this to be very, very true, is I want to look at the scriptures and I want to share with you five identities that God called you. If you are a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, you're given these identities. It is who you are. And therefore, there are five things we should do because these are five titles, five positions that God has given to us. Five things God has called us, okay? Five identities. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. And my whole hope and prayer and goal, honestly, is by the time that you leave here, that your head and your heart will be stoked to the point where you say, I can't not do this. And there's a lot within every single one of us that has a lot of excuses why not to engage in the lost. There's a lot of reasons, a lot of reasons and what I'm going to ask you to do before I go any further is that we would bring all of ourselves and all of our reasons and all of our fears and all of our anxieties and all of our beliefs and all of our whatever, all of it, and bring it before God and say, all right, Lord, sift me. Sift me and let the stuff that is not of you sit on the top so we can get rid of it. So that's not in my head, in my heart. I want to do that before we go any further. Because what can happen is if you have a hardened heart or a closed mind is that you've already made decisions about what you're going to do or not do when it comes to this. And God can't work with a closed heart and a hardened heart and a closed mind. So here's what I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask you to bow with me in prayer and to go before God right now. And I'm just going to kind of lead us through a little, a little prayer. Can we do this together? So... Uh, kind of, I'm going to give you some words. Put them in your own words. I want you to have a conversation with the Father right now. Just pretend like you're alone with just you and him. And I want you to say, all right, Lord, I'm, I give you permission right now to sift me. I know I can trust you with my head and heart. because I know you love me. I know you're for me. I know you're good. And so anything that you reveal is not in judgment right now. It's in love. And Father, I want you to sift my heart right now. And if there's anything I believe, if there's any attitudes I've adopted, if there's any character that has been formed in me, regarding this issue that's not of you, I pray that you'd reveal it to me right now. And God, I want to invite you into my head, my mind, the way I think, the way that I process, 
the way right now I'm processing life and the direction of my life and the purpose of my life. God, I pray that you would sift my mind, that you would reveal any ways in my mind that are not of you, that are selfish or wicked or deceitful. And God, these things that are in my head and my heart, God, I pray that you'd remove them. God, I need your help. I pray that you'd remove them. And that today I might have a soft heart and an open mind to who you say I am. To these five identities in your word. And we pray these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, we we all right? Everybody, we still good? I saw like two head nods. Everybody else is like, no. All right, thank you, Donnie. All right, Second Corinthians five. Let's start there. Second Corinthians chapter five tells us that we cannot be the same. All right, Second Corinthians chapter five verse seventeen says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a New creation. Okay? So the BCU and the ADU are two different people. The before Christ you and then the the you that has said yes to Christ, you become a new creation. You did not buy a new religion. You didn't start attending a new church. You became a new person. God came in you and changed you from the inside out. Jesus said, you're born again. And the old you is now gone. And there's a new you. You're a new creation. New identity. Right? Stay with me. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. See, the new has come. Some people even picture that in baptism, the picture of baptism itself, that when you're baptized, that the old you that has passed away is dead and stays dead at the bottom of the tank. And out you come and up you come from the water. The new you, kind of identifying with Christ. That's what, picture of, that's what baptism pictures, right? This very verse, that you're new. The verse then goes on and begins to describe the new you. Remember, who you are determines what you do. So what does the new me do? What are we about? He goes on. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to him through Christ. Let's stop right there. Reconciled us. In order for there to be reconciliation, there first had to be what? A, a, a fight, a problem, an issue, a division, right? There had to be something that put us apart in order for reconciliation is a coming together, right? And so God has reconciled us to him. What pulled us apart? Our sin, our rebellion against God, as subtle as it might be. Some of you think, oh, I'm not even that bad. Any sin is rebellion against a holy God and separates from God. And so God stands here and says, I still love you and I still want you back. 
I want to bring you back. That's reconciliation. Let's figure this out. And so he gave Jesus the cross bridges the gap to bring us back together because of what Jesus did. And so then he says this. He reconciled us to himself through Christ. And now he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. So he goes, hey, what you just experienced with me coming back to me? Yeah, go and I want you to go tell others about that. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. He goes on and says this. <clears throat> that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. You want to know what God's posture is towards the world? It's this. Reconciliation. He took the first step towards us in giving us Jesus. And then he stands there like this, and his heart is waiting to reconcile for the world. But the world doesn't know that. God reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. That's good news. Oh, by the way, that's what the word gospel means. The word gospel literally means good news. That's good news. Hey, you know what? You're all guilty, but you know what? God says forgiven. <laughs> I'm not going to hold it against you. Oh, good news. That's amazing. Amazing grace. <clears throat> he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. It's part of the package deal of Jesus. You've been reconciled. It's not like, well, that's not really my gift. It doesn't say anything in here about gifts. Well, yeah, I'm kind of more of an introvert. I'm kind of more of a quiet, shy. It doesn't say anything about your personality in here. Every single person that has been reconciled back to God has now been released and given the message of reconciliation to the rest of the world. It is part of the package deal of Jesus. Here's our first new identity in Jesus Christ. It includes being a messenger of reconciliation. I would love, 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 love if you would somehow jot these five identities down. Put them on your phones. Put them on scrap paper somewhere. Take a picture. We're, I'm going to put them all up at the end. So if you want to wait to the end, I'm going to have all five up there. You can take a picture. I would love for us to be reflective on these things throughout the week. These are our five. Our, all of us. Not me. Not the pastor. Jesus followers. Identity number one. A messenger of reconciliation. If we keep going, the very next verse in, in 2 Corinthians, he keeps going with this. You're a new creation. What's the first role of a new creation? Go back and tell everybody else there's reconciliation available. He, he goes on. Here's our second role. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconcilers to God. Like Paul is pleading with the church of Corinthians, come on church, do this, be a reconciler. Be an ambassador, he calls them. An ambassador. What's an ambassador? All right. Ambassador is a citizen of one nation that lives and represents that nation in a different nation. And that is very much so what we are. We have been brought into a new relationship with Christ, into his kingdom, where he is the king, and he has a whole different playbook for how to live life. 
And then he sends us back into the kingdom that he pulled us out of and go back and say, hey, represent me in there. Be an ambassador. Yeah, yeah, you belong to this kingdom. Your future home is heaven. This is what you're a citizen of. But for the time being, you lived in this place. So represent me well in this place. Live as a citizen of this kingdom, but you're living in this. You're an ambassador. Jesus said these words in First Peter, or excuse me, in John 18. In John 18, this is what Jesus said. This is when he was being interrogated by um, Pilate. And Pilate was trying to figure out who he is. Who, who are you, man? Why do your own people want to kill you? Here's what Jesus said. My kingdom is not of this world. Right, so, so what Jesus is saying, Pilate's thinking like literal king that has land and a castle and power and guards. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. I don't have that kind of a kingdom. I got a different kind of kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. It's a future kingdom, but it's a kingdom that I'm, I'm coming and bringing now. And so Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world, said Jesus. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. So Jesus is saying, listen, Pilate, like if, if my kingdom were like an earthly kingdom, if it was about the here and the now and kind of land and people and territory and power, believe me, there'd be a revolt. But Jesus isn't building that kind of a kingdom. He wasn't really about power and land, and the, which I want to come back to at the end of the series and unpack this verse. I think there's, there's some interesting things in here about how much we should fight to preserve a temporary kingdom. I think it's something that is very relevant for us today and, and, and very much can influence even how we approach this whole series. I want to unpack this verse more later. For right now, I just want you to say, to see this. Jesus says, um, my kingdom's not of this world. He said, if it were of this world, my servants would fight so I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. So when you say yes to Jesus, you're reconciled to God, you belong to a different kingdom, and now God goes, great, ambassador. What do I do as an ambassador? Well, you, you don't stay on the mother soil. It's, it's not, hey, let's, you know what, let's just huddle all together. Let's get all of us that think alike and act alike and believe alike. Let's, how about us four, no more? And instead of fishers of men, we'll be keepers of the aquarium, and we'll make it really nice, right? And we'll just... We'll just and isn't there, a, isn't there a, 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 a tendency, a desire to want to just do this just a little bit, a little bit? And Jesus says, no, 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 you're an ambassador. I'm, I'm sending you out into foreign land, foreign territory. Why? So that you can tell them about a better kingdom and a better king and a better way that actually brings life. It actually brings hope. We're ambassadors. That's... Our new identity, number two. We're a messenger of reconciliation, and we're an ambassador. Number three, here we go. First Peter chapter two. This is really maybe going to wig some of you out. This is what the Bible says. We've got to believe it. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. <clears throat> A people for his possession, watch this, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
If you're like me and you grew up Roman Catholic, this verse wigs you out a little bit. Because the priest was, I mean, that was the priest. And then the Bible comes along and says, actually, all of you who follow Jesus and believe in Jesus, you're all priests. Every single one of you is a priest. And like, I didn't even go to seminary. God doesn't care. You are positionally a priest. And like, I don't feel like a priest. Thank God we're not led by our feelings, right? People, we're smarter than that. I didn't hear any amens there. I was like, <laughs> you're like, wait, we're not supposed to be led by our feelings? No, we, we, we've talked about that. <clears throat> what does a priest do? The priest, the Old Testament priest had two main roles, okay? Two main roles of the priest. Here was, here was role number one of being a priest. The first thing that priest was to do was to bring people to God. That was the first role of the priest. I want, I want you to draw close to God. I want you to know about God. I want you to learn about God. The first role of the, of the priest was to bring people to God. You know what the second role of the priest was? Was to represent God to the people was to give the people a picture, an accurate picture of the God that they are supposed to believe in and follow. And so the priest, very much so, was the middleman between the people and God. The priest took the hand of the people and, so to speak, the hand of God and was trying to bring them together. That is the role of the priest. And then in the New Testament, the Bible calls all of us Priest, we all have that job. We all are supposed to do these two things. We're supposed to bring people to our God, and then we're supposed to represent our God to the people who might not ever step foot in a church, who might not ever pick up a Bible, but they should see Jesus every day in you because you're a priest, and you represent Jesus to a watching world. Role number one, we're a messenger of reconciliation. Role number two, we're an ambassador. Role number three, we are a priest. Role number four comes from John chapter 20. This is Jesus speaking. It says this, Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Last night of Jesus' life, John chapter 20 is the, the last supper. It's the last night of his life. He's getting ready to leave. He's passing the torch. And he's saying, look, just as my dad sent me here, now he turns to his guys, I'm sending you. And so you're a believer and a follower of Jesus. You're a sent one. This is, this is part of our role. We're sent we're, we're sent with a message. We're sent on the mission. You know what's not okay? Is not going. It's an act of disobedience. Parents, when you send your kids to the room, to their room, and they stand there, no. Is that okay? Go to your room. No. Go to your room. You ever have this one? Make me. Oh, please, gladly, come here, right? <laughs> I mean, not that, not that I, that was Dana. Dana knows this. She'd get very, very handsy. <laughs> you know what? 
That's us. God goes, go. Not go to your room, go to the world. And some of you are just like, no. And God's like, no, no, I'm serious. Go, you're sent. Go to the world. No. I don't want to. We're sent ones. One sent with a mission and a message. And it's, it's a defiant, childlike act of disobedience to stay, to sit, to not go, and then make what we are convinced in our own head and hearts are very legitimate excuses why we won't go. Like that ever works as parents when the kids start mouthing off excuses to you about why they... It's like, no, no, I want you to just do what I said. We're sent ones. This is... You want to know why this is a big deal? Even so, more so, I think today, personally. You want to know why it's important that we go? Because more and more, they're not coming. More and more, they're not coming. It's something like 80-some percent of people in America today are not doing what you and I are doing right now. Not going to church. Every generation gets less and less. In 20 years, it'll be like 5% of the population is going to church. If our strategy is to bring them to church so they can hear about Jesus, we are going to lose. We can't bring them. People don't want to come. We've got to go. Here's the good news. You're already there. The church already is where they are. At work, at school, at the gym, at the neighborhood, on the soccer fields. We're already there. We just need to live out our roles. You're like, yeah, man, but I just don't know. We're going to, all through this series, we're going to help you. I, I, I feel like I can identify with a lot of you because I'm, I don't naturally do that. This is more natural to me. Going one-on-one, talk to my neighbor, be like, hey, can I have a conversation with you? Very unnatural, very awkward, don't like to do that. So I've wrestled through these things myself. I've come to the point where, not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a Christian, I just, it's not an option for me just to tap out and be like, I'm out. It, it, it'd be disobedient to who I am. I'm, a, I'm an ambassador, I'm a sent one, I'm a messenger of reconciliation. Got to do this, church. We've got to figure out how to do this. They're not coming. You know, um, there's been a lot of good, I think, this is a quick little side note, a lot of good that happened over the last 30, 40 years of the, the, the seeker church movement. There was, I mean, a whole church movement was built around seeking those that are lost, and designing church and making church cool so that when lost people come, they're like, oh, this is cool. This is like us. Except now, um, people don't want cool. You know what they need? They need God. They need Jesus. And so um, let's... And so we, we build into the strategy. I call it the field of dreams strategy of, like, if we build it, they will come. Right and 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 bought and built like huge mega buildings all around the the nation. Spent millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars building cool things to make church look cool, to make 
put on cool services. And, and honestly, we have no desire here to be cool. I mean that from our heart. Our desire is not. Our desire is every Sunday morning that you come in contact with Jesus Christ, that you worship Jesus, and that you get the Jesus through the word of God. And so um, the, if you build it, they will come strategy, I think, lived its course. I think that strategy is dead because they ain't coming anymore. And they're coming to buildings where they can't find Jesus. And so we've got to go. We've got to go. Here's our last one. Um, our last identity, <clears throat> excuse me, comes from Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Let me have the worship team come. Matthew chapter 9 says this. Jesus continued going around. I love, I mean, Jesus modeled what to do. Do you, do you see this? Jesus, can, I mean, don't check out on me, right? Don't be distracted by the team coming up because I want you to get this. Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages. Jesus didn't set up base camp and be like, hey, you want to hear some good teaching? Maybe get healed? Come to me. He went to where the people were. Teaching in their synagogues. Preaching the good news of the kingdom. Healing every disease and every sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them. So when he looked out into the brokenness of the world that was stained by sin. That were rebelling against his father. He didn't get angry at them. He didn't separate himself from them. This word, this Greek word for compassion, it's, a, it's an interesting, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. It's a really, really weird Greek word. It means this. It means to be moved in the most inner parts of you. This is what he was moved with compassion for them. Why? Because they were distressed. They were lost. They're blind. They don't know. Dejected. They're like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, Man, the harvest, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. I mean, the, the whole world is the harvest field, but there, man, there's so not enough workers out there. Here's what Jesus said, therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the field, out into its harvest. So what's our last identity? Our last identity is that you and I are workers our workers sent out into the world, into the fields, to share this, to build relationships with, to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit, to take steps of faith, to get off the couch, to engage in the mission of the world, and to live out our identity. This is what we're made to do. Who you are determines what you do. And if you ain't fishing and you ain't following Jesus, so who are you? I took them all and I just put it in the sentence. So yeah, take a picture of this. If you haven't scribbled this stuff down, take a picture of that. I want you to see this because this is who we are. I put it in a sentence. Really, this is who we are. We're, we're an ambassador with the ministry of reconciliation. We're a priest who is a sent one into the harvest fields to share the good news of Jesus. 
might not come natural to you. Right now, you might be really angry at lost people. You might be hurt by lost people. You might not care about lost people. You might have every reason in the book not to do this. And my prayer is over the next six weeks, that would change for you. But it will not, it will not, it will not if you sit here every week with a hard heart and a closed mind. Let me make one last statement. Can, can you put the list back up again for me real quick? Let me tell you what I know is true about you and what is true about me. 99% of people will not naturally drift into these positions. You will drift the opposite direction. What I mean by drift is if, if you just kind of go through life and you kind of just are living life, you won't drift into doing these roles. Why? Because they're difficult, they're awkward, they're for most of us not natural, and naturally we drift towards what is more comfortable, what feels good, what's easier. That's where we naturally drift towards what we enjoy. And so most of us will not just accidentally drift or fall into living on mission. As a matter of fact, you'll drift the opposite direction. And it is unless you make a determination to set the compass of your heart and your mind to say, I don't want to do these things. I'm struggling with these things. I'm afraid of these things. But Jesus, I've surrendered my life to you. And this is what you say I am. So by faith, I'm going to try to step into these things. Unless you intentionally set your heart and mind to do this, it won't happen. It won't happen by accident. You will drift away from these roles naturally. And so how I want to just close right now is you having a 30-second conversation with the Lord and just being honest about where you're at right now. And if you're not willing to say, all right, Lord, I'm going to set the compass of my heart and mind towards you, then even just say, Lord, help me to do that. Lord, help me to want, help me to, want to do that. You can be as honest with God as you want. He already knows. So it's like, there's no sense. You're not faking God out. So just be honest with him this morning. So close your eyes, bow your heads. And right now, I'm going to be quiet. In your own words, would you set the compass of your head and your heart and your life in this direction, saying, I'm going to try to live out these rules. Father, I wonder what would happen if every single person that claims to be a believer and follower of you would step into their identity. God, our, our schools would be changed. Our communities would be revived. Relationships restored. We, the evil that seems to be growing would shrink the darkness that seems to be increasing would change, God. If we, if all of us would just live out being light and being salt. So God, I, I pray 
that you'd help us. That God, I, I pray that through this, I, I, God, I believe in faith, I believe that lives are going to be changed, that people are going to be sitting here months from now that never would have come here but because somebody in here took a step of faith that chose to live out their role. God, I believe that baptism tank will be filled with people saying they now know you and love you and want to follow you. So God, I pray that you be with us as a church. Strengthen us. And Jesus, thank you for saving us. Thank you that we know the truth. Thank you that we're not lost, that we're not blind. We love you, Jesus. We worship you right now in your name. Amen. Let's stand together and close.